My name is David Hershkovitz. I'm the founder of Paper Magazine, and this is Light Culture. Listen, learn, and stay ahead of the curve as I knock heads with cultural disruptors of the past, present, and future. Light Culture is brought to you by Burb, the Vancouver-based cannabis brand. Olympic snowboarder, recording artist, visual artist, streetwear designer, filmmaker, NFT creator. The age of the multi-hyphenate creative is upon us. And when I stop to think about this phenomena, when I try to understand what it takes to be able to succeed at all these creative enterprises, the name Trevor Andrew, my guest today on the Light Culture podcast, pops into my head. As Gucci Ghost, his visual doppelganger, he's exceeded expectations taking his distinctive double G doodlings of the famous fashion house and making it his own, first as a personal obsession and now as a de facto brand ambassador and co-creator of a line of clothes with Gucci's Alessandro Michel. Since being a multi-hyphenate creative cannot be taught in an environment that focuses on specialization like college, for example, Perhaps coming from the snowboarding world, where improvisation and personal style really make a difference, is the secret sauce that stirs the continuous evolution of Trevor Andrew. Welcome, Trevor, to Light Culture. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for the intro. Sure, man. So what do you think of my theory? Do you think that snowboarding, in a way, prepared you for everything? You didn't even have any idea that you would be doing at this point? I think definitely, especially like skateboarding, which actually led me to snowboarding and really exposed me to art as a child and just a way of seeing the world differently without rules and regulations of how to be creative. Like you go to a parking lot and look at a curb and how do you interpret that? I think that I've applied that method to everything that I've done. And I think that that freedom is what really attracts me to the things that I've experimented with and fell in love with, really. When you grew up in Canada, in Nova Scotia, in a small town out of the way, doesn't even really snow a lot there, particularly, even though people might think it does, but apparently it doesn't. It snows a little bit. There's just no mountains. So it snows, but there's not great mountains to ride. But my mom did actually work at the ski hill down the street. So in the winters, I would venture over there after school and hang out. There was night skiing. So I'd be there till like 10 o'clock till she was done work and I'd just be riding. But it was always like a dream as a kid to go out west because I was like, oh, the mountains, I got to get there, you know, so I could expand and get off the ice and get on the, the nice how. What made you think that you were good enough and had potential? Tell a little bit of description of how you wound up being a world-class snowboarder. Well, I think I was lucky because I always had a group of older guys around me that encouraged me and my dad wasn't really around. It seemed like there was always somebody living at our place that was renting a room or staying over that always seemed to be like a real cool person that put me on to good music, giving me black flag tapes and <laughs> skate videos and taking me up to the city to go to the skate park or like go to a contest. And 
and in the winter it was the same thing i had those kind of older guys that like when they were going venturing out to go compete and stuff they would drag me along and my mom would let me go on these road trips at like 11 12 with 19 year olds and stuff and i loved it and i loved i guess the acknowledgement from them and the encouragement and they really looked out for me in that way and i think that at a certain point i started doing well at those contests and then it was like you know school for me was just always kind of excruciating and the real source of anxiety for me so once i had the opportunity to escape that I was like, I remember my mom saying, well, if you can make something happen, you could always come back, finish. And, and I was like, yo, I'm out. I remember <laughs> that year I dropped out. I think it was like just going into grade nine because I started winning contests. And I remember I just shortly after that, I wasn't pro yet. I was amateur, but I was definitely on the scene. I was on the circuit. I started winning contests. I was winning the nationals. And then it was junior world cup. That was like the first big thing and I was getting exposed other people were seeing me brands and stuff so I got my first couple sponsors and then you know by the time I was 16 or 17 I got invited to uh this contest called the super session in Stockholm Sweden and it was an invitational only the year before that they started these big cash prize contests with only the top guys in the world and and so I got kind of snuck into one of those events. A friend of mine who recently brought me on his team was like, yo, there's a spot open. Somebody got hurt. I'm going to put you in this contest. And I was like a nobody as far as like the guys I was going up against because these were top 20 in the world, superstars, essentially, my heroes. So I showed up. I ended up winning the contest and it was like $50,000. And I remember like it was just life changing. Yeah. And I've just been gone since, you know, I've just been like, <laughs> See, hey, mom, <laughs> your yeah, mom sounds pretty cool to have let you uh, follow your dream that way. Really? She really was, man. She's always been really supportive. Even as a really young child, I remember her getting me rolls of newsprint from the newspaper factory and just encouraging me to just be creative. And I was just drawn all the time. I just wanted to draw like superheroes. And she just always encouraged me to just be myself, just do whatever I felt was fun, you know? And when she saw that I was having fun, she really encouraged that. And I think it was helpful to her to have some of the guys around that were like, hey, we'll take them. She was working a lot. It's crazy the amount of freedom I was granted as a child. I think now that I'm a parent, I'm like, damn, like I was yeah, really... Yeah. I was really out there in the world as a little guy with older people. And she just trusted that. And I guess the community skateboarding and snowboarding at that time, especially it was a pretty small group of people. And it was mainly, I would say artists, you know, because I view like skateboarding, snowboarding, all that stuff. I view it as an art. I view it as a martial art. You have to be obviously athletic to do it, but it takes a lot of creative thinking to excel at it. You got to just have an imagination, you know? Your career was cut short with an accident, right? So basically you had to move on to something. You didn't quite know. I don't imagine what that thing would be, but it turned out to be music first. Yeah. Uh, as, as your next level of expression. Yep, totally. I got hurt. It was kind of like a string of injuries. 
And yeah, I was kind of losing the stoke and it wasn't just based on the injuries. It was just kind of like I was searching for something else to like get excited about. And music was always like a driving force with snowboarding for me. Anyway, I was always rocking the headphones and the music is what allowed me to almost feel like I had some kind of superpower when I was out there, like to believe in something really kind of big and scary. It pushed me. And so, yeah, once I had a bunch of injuries, I fractured my back. I had a bunch of concussions and broke all my ribs and broke my leg and my oh, arm. Shit. Oh my God. I kind of thrashed myself. I had met my now wife when I was in New York for a promotional trip for the snowboard company I was riding for at the time, Burton Snowboards. And I ran into her. She's from Philly and she was up here doing her first photo shoot for her at the time project. It was like a punk rock project called Stift. And we met her name, Santi. She went on to form the project Santi Gold. But at that time, obviously, she was really immersed in creating music. And I had just been injured. I met her here, went to Switzerland, hurt myself, came back, spent the time rehabbing my knee and hanging out with her in Philly. And she had guitars and instruments and stuff around. And I was just kind of like killing time and playing stuff and riffing. And she would like come in singing a melody. And I ended up writing some songs with her. And that really encouraged me and gave me the stoke that like, wow, like I don't need to know even how to really properly play an instrument. I could make something. I could make a song just by having a feeling. And so from then I started over those nine months of getting myself better. So I could get back on snow. I was just kind of like recording. She bought me a four track tape recorder for my birthday and I bought myself an MPC and I just started making these beats with no real intention to put the music out or to try to make a career of it. It was just fun. And then I started writing songs to them and taking some old freestyles and stuff and like putting them over this new sound that I was creating. And first song I ever wrote was this song called Chase Money. And it was like in the MySpace era. And I remember not even knowing like, because I was so anti, I didn't even have a cell phone for the longest or computer or anything. And she was like, oh, you need to make a MySpace page. And she made it for me and we put the music up because I wasn't even going to put it out. It was just kind of like something I did. And I was like, this is, this is cool. I liked it. And I liked the process. And I thought maybe it could live in my snowboard video part or something. That was kind of as far as I thought. But MySpace, early social media style, put it out there. And the feedback was kind of overwhelming. And I was like, wow. And then people from the community, surfers, snowboarders, skaters, started using the songs in their video parts and stuff. And that really encouraged me. I was like, shoot, I want to do more of this. And so in those kind of final years of my snowboard career, I just really was balancing in between the snowboarding and the music. But at the same time, another part of that process was always creating products in between. When I was with the snowboard brands, I was like creating clothing and snowboard graphics and things like that. So it was really also an entry for me understanding how to take an idea and make it into something for the world or a product or anything, applying the art and the creative and making it real. And your character, the Gucci Ghost, was that already something you were playing around with? Gucci Ghost kind of came a little later, like, because I was doing, I put out a few records under Trouble Andrew 
and we were touring around in a van and playing little dive bars and mountain towns. And we did a couple tours. I toured with my wife. We did a tour with Yellow Wolf, did a lot of like spot dates here and there. Again, like the community really embraced the music. So like I was getting booked to do the trade shows for snowboarding or like X Games and stuff like that. And then it was kind of after, it was around 2012. And I was really experimenting, like throwing a lot of different things at the wall and making videos. I was shooting videos for like myself, but also for like friends locally. Zoe Kravitz had a music project called Lola Wolf at the time. And I was doing a lot of her videos. And I started incorporating this Gucci Ghost visual identity, which really started, I was taking DJ gigs and just, doing a bunch of different stuff. I went to the Philippines and I was DJing my friend's party. And the day before I left, I stopped at the market and picked up some bootleg Gucci fabric. I've always been like (laughs) the type, I love Canal Street. I love bootleg stuff. I was always down to get the bootleg Jordans and skate in them. And so, yeah, I was psyched to find that. And I came home and it was literally like two days before Halloween. And I always leave my Halloween costume to the last second. And I was just like, cut the eye holes in it, skated around New York and just was kind of fascinated how people were so immediately taking to it and going, yo, Gucci ghost, like calling it out before it was a thing that drove me to like draw it more and paint it and kind of transform my world and using Gucci ghost as a mascot for all the mediums that I was creating, whether it was videos for Zoe or my own music. I guess really the first Gucci Ghost real release was the Gucci Ghost EP, which I kind of was like, okay, I'm going to take this Gucci Ghost identity, kind of reimagine my own music career and drop this EP as Gucci Ghost and not as Trouble Andrew. Yeah, it was interesting. I was extracting a bit of power and familiarness from the brand and reinterpreting it throwing it back into the world and people were catching on to it. And, and again, like I was doing this across so many different mediums and transforming my whole studio space into that. <laughs> That's yeah, took over your life basically. Yeah, really. <laughs> it's kind of amazing, really. Yeah, it was fun. And then three years down the line, it, once I got a little deeper into really exploring this concept across all these different mediums, especially when I started applying it to old clothes that I had and reimagining stuff, like, cause it all comes out of a very DIY spirit. And I did start to think, damn, like Gucci should do this, you know, this would be dope. And everyone was like, nah, Gucci will never fuck with you. You know, like they don't even light their own cigarettes. They don't collab with artists. You're not like Banksy. It's not going to happen. And I was kind of like, well, I think it would just take the right person to, to understand it, you know? And at that time, Alessandro had just been appointed the new creative director. He had been there for a season and he caught wind of it through an old friend of mine, Ari Macopoulos, who I knew from the snowboard world. He was coming on trips with us when I, at that contest that I had won that kind of like catapulted my career that my friend got me into. And I won the $50,000 and all of a sudden I was on the map as a pro snowboarder. He was there and he was shooting this book and following around snowboarders and bringing a totally different viewpoint to it, more artistic. And he was from, you know, like shot a lot of the early Supreme stuff and shot a lot of the amazing like black and white 
nudes of like Basquiat was like around this whole scene in New York that I was even unaware of at the time. But me and him really clicked and he got commissioned by Alessandro to do the lookbook. And he mentioned, because he was hanging out at my, my studio space for the past three years. I actually rewind a little bit. Halloween, when I went out as Gucci goes, I showed up at this party and I ran into Ari and I hadn't seen him in like 10 years plus. Oh, really? And was like, pulled up the sheet like, yo, Ari, it's Trev, what's up? And That's we connected. Funny. He started coming through the studio and hanging out. And so when he got commissioned by Gucci, he said to Alessandro, hey, have you ever heard of Gucci Ghost? You should. My friend Trevor has this thing, Gucci Ghost, like it's crazy. And he showed him some stuff. And then they immediately called me. And they were like, hey, can you come to Rome? Like, we want to collaborate with you. And it was funny because it was like New Year's. And I remember it was like the third year of the project. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll start a new project. But something in me just felt like I didn't feel like it was completed yet. Even though it, we had some like dope parties. I'd worked this thing across so many different mediums. But I knew, obviously, working with the brand would have made sense. And I was like, kind of leading up to that. I was like, I'm gonna do this shit till they sue me or hire me, you know, like they should do this. But they never did, right? They never found out on their own to come after you to try to stop you prior to that, right? I think the way that I was doing, I wasn't bootlegging anything. I was actually right. reimagining it all and throwing it into the world. And it was more of an offering to them yeah, that's the way you see it. But if it was somebody else there besides Alessandro, when it was called to their attention, they may have had a totally different view. Actually, I know Ari, and we've been around the same scene for a long time, going back to the 80s as well. And I assumed that that was the connection, snowboarding, that yep. originally. So it's funny how snowboarding leads into the Gucci story in a way because of Ari's connection. But back in the day, when people just first started bootlegging the Gucci logo, people used to put it on t-shirts and you could buy it at Canal Street and it became a thing to just be cool and fun. You know, Gucci wasn't anything like it is today. You know, Gucci had to kind of reinvent itself also, right? Because it was kind of an old lady brand at one point. Yeah. You know, that's obviously changed quite a bit over the years. But it takes someone like Alessandro because you think about Dapper Dan. I'm sure you're familiar with that story at this point. I ran into Dapper Dan last night, actually. Oh, shit. Yeah. How was that? Oh, it was great. I mean, I always say if there wasn't a Dapper Dan, there wouldn't be a Gucci ghost, you know? Totally. I mean, since they made that move to basically do what they did with you, even though they did shut him down for a time, right? But then eventually was so shamed into doing something about that when their designs, when they wound up copying Dapper Dan in one of their shows, it became too embarrassing. So then they asked Dapper Dan to come in and gave him a tellier and had a happy ending to that story. But that definitely paved the way for you to come in and do something with them as well. Oh, totally. And that was one of the first things that I brought up when I went to Gucci was like, I really want to work with Dapper Dan. And I actually reached out to him personally. I went up to Harlem and we chopped it up. But that's something that I definitely is like life goals is for us to collaborate. But yeah, he paved the way, man. He was doing this for 30 years with a lot of bullshit in between. He's to me the god of this, you know? Yeah, definitely. His story is fantastic as well. So 
Now you're doing NFTs. That's another step in the evolution. What is that scene like? And do you feel at home there as you would in anywhere else? Or is it a little weird? No, it's not weird. I mean, it's just like anything else in the way that I don't really feel like I'm a part of any scene. I'm just kind of everywhere and I just do my own thing. And I just look for creative outlets and ways to like connect with people. And really NFT for me started with the Winklevoss twins actually reached out to me almost three years ago now. And they were like, hey, we're starting this new platform called Nifty Gateway. And we want to do something. We want you to be one of the first artists. And at the time, like, myself and everyone on my team, nobody knew what this really was. I just saw it as almost like social media to connect with people, just another community to share the art and the experience. So I was all for it. And really, I think probably at that time, a lot of people didn't respond to those emails of them reaching out. And I'm just always looking for any opportunity to share and expand and get eyes on the creative, because just being an artist to me is is everything. So I cherish every opportunity that I get to connect. So yeah, I just immediately hit them back. Like, yeah, let's do it. I'm down. And Did you even know what it was? Did you even understand it, what they were talking about? I did my research and I, I got familiar. And then I even got ahead of myself because I was creating something at that time where my release didn't come till November last year because I was going ahead of the game where I was creating this piece that was like this evolving piece at the time, the technology didn't even really exist for the platform to support. And I was trying to do this thing. And then it was like, they hit me back like, Hey man, do you just want to do like a drop? We can get to that later and you can just do a drop, you know? And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I just did a little drop in November and it was really embraced. And I was like, wow, this is cool. And then it kind of freed me from feeling like I need to bring this because I always like to go the extra mile and do the most that I can. But I realized just playing a part and being present was significant at that time, just because there wasn't a lot of people there. And then March came around and I did another one. And then I've just been staying present and, uh, and really inspired. And I'm actually working on something Right now, I feel like it's the whole, it's really embodies the entire spirit and concept and story and all the works of Gucci Ghost that I'm hoping to release fairly soon. Well, that's a big statement. And it's something that's not only story and concept strong. NFT is fun because it's just like a whole nother medium. So I'm using that medium to really expand and showcase the story and the art using the tech and bringing something I feel that's new to the game and progressive. Yeah, I really enjoy it. It's fun. And I encourage a lot of people. I'm trying to get a lot of my friends in that space. Even Ari was one that I reached out to and was like, yo, you got to do NFTs, man. Like your stuff would be amazing in there, you know? And, and he said no. No, he didn't say no. He didn't say no? Okay. No. I'm curious to see what he would do. Because some people are purists. He's like a photographer, beautiful photographer. You know what his work is like. Totally. Beautiful black and white photos. But I think there's a place for that. You know, with I think there's a place for everything within it. That's what I think the beauty of this whole scene is that we're in such a it's infancy stage that I do believe that all of these, whatever types of work in the physical world can 
be translated and preserved into the digital space. And that's what I love about it too. And that's kind of what I've been bent on, on this piece I've been working on. It's like, I just love that it allows us to do that. I've had a lot of work lost over the years. I've had house fire, floods, all kinds of stuff where I've lost things. But the fact that I have images or videos of them that could be, I think is just, to me, it's priceless, you know, because, and that's why I think NFT is so special. It allows you to kind of translate these, these ideas and works into that space and preserve them forever. Yeah, that is a great point about all of that. But even as you speak, I'm thinking about a music video that you made. Sorry, I forget the title, but where you incorporate a lot of what you were talking about in NFTs. You have your Gucci ghost character, you have your no work city, you have people smoking weed or the lifestyle. And also just to add with regard to who you are compared to, let's say, an Ari, who I don't know what he's going to do, obviously, but you are someone who has been very plastic in that sense of being able to go from one thing to the next and not really feeling, wow, this is, you know, I'm a musician. I'm not this, you know, like a lot of people have different attitudes and also because the public has a way, or at least in the past, of dismissing people who were world skateboarders or snowboarders, world famous athletes who then want to do music or then want to do art right. and, and don't want to take them seriously for that reason. Yeah, I think that that definitely happens. I think even when I first started doing music, I felt that a little bit where I kind of shied away from even mentioning my history as a snowboarder and stuff. But as I got older, I realized that that's truly a part of who I am. Skateboarding and all this is what's allowed me to think so freely. And it's a bit different because I think when you look at skateboarding, you look at people like Mark Gonzalez, it's very natural for a skateboarder to be an artist because you have to be an artist to be a skateboarder in a sense. Even growing up watching the skate videos and the music that was in the videos was so-and-so's friends band, Sub Society. And the art on the skateboards was the skateboarder Lance Mountain's graphic, or it was like Natus's graphic. It's a very creative community. So I felt like, I guess, like the general public wouldn't understand that and they would associate it with, oh, he's an Olympic athlete, uh, I guess, like another pro athlete, like you said, saying, hey, I want to be a a musician or an actor or something, which is not, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I think people assume that it's some kind of gimmick or something. Whereas within this community and culture, I think it's very natural. And I guess that that's why when I started doing music, nobody in surfing and skating, snowboarding questioned it. You know, everybody was just embraced it and knew it was real and knew it was something that was organic to my creative process. and. The same way when I do my own graphics or I started designing my own clothes for snowboarding or went on to do everything that I've done. I guess it's that progression and it's that idea of there's no right or wrong way to look at that curb and skateboard on it. It's however you interpret it. And the friends or the group of people that are around you while you're doing that are all encouraging each other. I guess I've just had that fearlessness in that way and no boundaries. And, and also I think it's probably because I've never truly like been a part of one thing or another. I didn't 
go to art school to be an artist. I didn't study design or fashion. I was never trained to be a musician. None of these things. It's just all experimental to me. And it's just about loving the process and enjoying it. And I think with that love of the process, you get sometimes great work and you get things that are authentic and that are felt. Things that are forced don't really resonate. And that's why I kind of bounce around from one thing to another, just because when I feel like I'm not motivated or stoked to do something, I just stop doing it and I do something else. And, you know, when I felt that snowboarding, that's what besides the injury kind of led me to go, oh, I want to do this music stuff or I want to design these. I want to make these products and work with these brands. And, and then that led me to, oh, I want to get back into like drawing and painting and I want to make these clothes or I want to make these films. And I've been very lucky to throughout my life, especially coming from where I come from, to be able to find a way to support that idea throughout my life and to be an artist. And that's why I really don't take it for granted. And I go hard with it. I just uh, found the video that I was referring to earlier, which was the Love Will Tear Us Apart. One oh, the, that you yeah, did? the Joy Division cover. Yeah. Yeah. The Joy Division cover, which to me was amazing for several reasons. One, just doing the song, which Obviously, it's, a, it's an amazing song, but why it would appeal to you exactly. It's not like kind of a shredding song or any kind of, I don't associate it with snowboarding or anything of that nature. Just FYI. So that was released in 1980, right? Roughly. And then you also included the Sid and Nancy, the Sex Pistols, Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen, and that famous story of yep. she was killed at the Chelsea Hotel, uh, whether he did it or not. No Work City was also in there you also had like kind of a, yeah, a ta taxi driver homage yeah and so i don't know if you're aware of it but all of these things happened around the same time that the song and the sid and nancy thing were contemporaneous right so that they both happened in 79 80 and that's also around when taxi driver came out and fyi cadillac seville by gucci when Gucci was uh, asked to, to do a Cadillac Seville, yeah. 1979. So, you know, I'm just wondering, was that part of your thinking at all? Or was it just a coincidence? Well, I, I got to shout out my man, Drew Toons, because uh, that's who I worked on with that video. We actually have an animation project, which we are also launching NFTs under is Network City. That's kind of our crew. And yeah, I think just that era for sure has been such an influential time for me. And I think it's probably because of, again, having guys that were 10 years older than me, like schooling me on stuff when I was 11, 12, 13. And I was really getting hip to all this stuff. And I think, again, it was the window of skateboarding that kind of shot me through that I discovered all of this stuff that felt parallel to what I was seeing that obviously was influential in at that time, even with what was happening in the culture of skateboarding, graphics, films, music, everything. So, but yeah, No Work City is just a great, we like to definitely play with historical, like pop culture moments. I play Trouble Andy and my buddy Drew plays same old tunes. And we like to like, you know, uh, kind of 
<laughs> pretend we were there, you know? Nice. Okay, it's working. And then, so just finally, you mentioned you skated for Burton. And uh, I don't know if it's a coincidence that you're here this week, but there's a screening of the new uh, Jake Burton documentary this week. Yeah, I'm going. I'm, I'm going tomorrow. I'm going to go check it out tomorrow. I, th I believe that my song, Ghost, is the closer to the movie. I know they hit me up about putting that in there. Oh, nice. Yeah, some, were some thoughts on Jake. Yeah, I mean, he was a real mentor to me. I remember just being really young because I got sponsored by Burton when I first started getting product flown to me when I was about 11. I went to my first photo shoot with Burton when I was 12 in Newfoundland with the Burton team. And then started going to the U.S. Opens and Jake was always somebody I looked to. Like, I just always wanted to impress. And as I got older, he would invite me and the other riders to his house, and we would just chop it up. He really helped me understand and really helped blossom my creative spirit. He had an open round table for us always to just, he'd be like, what do you guys want to do? What do you think? And really gave us that value, you know, where you're like, damn, he kind of let us run shit, you know? We started a, a brand within his brand at one point called Analog, and it was just like me and five of my friends and it was just like, whatever we wanted to do, you know, he kind of like gave us carte blanche to just be like, what do you guys want to do, man? Like, he was just such a great guy. He really helped me get to where I am. First of all, he supported my first creative venture of being a snowboarder, which led me to getting around the world, getting exposed to all these different things and soaking it all up and seeing the world and, and really knowing at that point, oh, I want to go out and be everywhere. You know, I'm from a little small town in Nova Scotia. Like if I didn't have access and didn't have the support, he funded all that. He brought me everywhere. That was priceless to me. I mean, it's just the greatest gift I've been given is to have that access to the world and go around and have this job to be a somebody that rides down the mountain and hits jumps and just being creative and then obviously having the keys on the the other side of it not just only going out into the world and snowboarding and getting all of this knowledge and growth from traveling it was like also hey this is how you create a product like how do you want to make something that's what i fell in love with a lot was just having the ability to go think of something or draw something or have an idea of a jacket or whatever, a snowboard graphic and go, I want to do this. Okay, cool. Work with so-and-so and let's build it. That to a young person is, was just so important to me to have that in my life and forever grateful for that because that kind of translates into so much more in my life. And I try to share that with other people too. Great man. RIP Jake. Yeah. So thank you very much, Trevor Andrew, Gucci Ghost, for being my guest today at Light Culture. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It was nice to talk to you. Same here, man. All right. Peace. Peace. You've been listening to Light Culture. You can find us at shopburb.com, Light Culture, or at Light Culture Podcast. Thanks again to Burb 
You can follow them at ShopBurb on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to and review the show. If you would like to get in touch, reach out to me directly at David Reporting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.